0: During World War II, General Douglas MacArthur wanted an island airfield to secure his launch forces, and so he invaded the Indonesian island. And six months after they had secured the island in June, June 1944, there was a chaplain named Leon Maltby who arrived in the island to minister to the troops. And he had basically a 20 foot by 60 foot canvas structure to serve as his chapel, but nothing in it except for a floor made out of some packed coral that they had stamped down and a roof made from a yellow parachute. And so with the help of some carpenters, he built some pews and a platform and an altar for a little chapel there. And he wanted to serve communion, but he had nothing to serve it with. And so he found some unused 50 caliber bullets and he used, uh, he used some new shells because he didn't want to use any that had been used to kill. And he pulled out the lead, the gunpowder, and the firing caps, and he welded them. And he pressed them into the right shape, and he shined them up. And then he, uh, uh, he, he spent about two hours to complete this, and then he made enough for 80 communion cups to serve uh, his men there. In 1945, Chaplain Maltby sailed in Japan and was actually the first Protestant chaplain to enter into Japan. And he became good friends with a local Japanese pastor. And he used that same communion set to serve the Lord's Supper with him, which really moved that Japanese pastor deeply. And the set's now on display, I believe, at the Veterans Museum in in Daytona Beach, if you ever get down there, um, with, with a sign that says this. The pastor clearly understood the significance of instruments of death becoming a symbol of eternal life. What does eternal life look like? What would it look like for exiles in Babylon? What would it look like for life on the margins of this world? Peter answers that with what life looks like as an exile in Babylon who has a father... Who has been bought with a precious price and delivered into a family, and he does all of that to show us that the purpose of this being a citizen of his heavenly kingdom is to glorify God by loving Him and loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and sharing the gospel with the lost. That's what we're saved for. Did you ever wonder how we, as a as a church, can 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 be closer to one another and and serve one another? That there that there must be more. And that we're to abound more and more in this love, as Paul told the Thessalonians. Perhaps you um, uh, would, would say with so many of us, yes, I, I, I love the brethren, but you're not sure how to practice that. Or you're, you're, you, you love but at a distance. And you're wondering about tangible ways. Or maybe you wonder if you're loved by the brethren in this church. Or maybe there's some brethren in this church who you don't love. Maybe there's some suspiciousness that, that dominates your feelings about other people in this church. Or maybe you're suspicious of other people's suspiciousness. <laughs> or um, uh, you wonder, as we read in Acts 2.42, and we see the things that the early church did together. They, they hung out together. They laughed together. Uh, they cried together. They ate together. They shared their needs together. They served uh, uh, together. They practiced the one another's together. You wonder... Where is that rooted? How does that happen? How can we see that happen? Peter answers that question. Peter answers that question. Um, so how do we keep from falling back into the same old life patterns that tend to, tend to keep us shrink-wrapped and be little islands or um, uh, have, a, have a desire to love one another but not practice it, do it so at a distance? And Peter answers this question in 1 Peter chapter 1 with some insights that really the the section began last week in verses 13 and goes to verse 25. We did 13 through 16 last week and we looked at the holiness of God and God's call to us to be holy as He is holy. And we reminded ourselves that that idea of holiness is ultimately what we see in Leviticus 19, where that verse is quoted from, where in the rest of that Leviticus chapter there, the Old Testament law, it's to love God and to love our neighbor. And he lays out what that looks like. A pure love of loving God wholeheartedly, and a pure love of loving our neighbor sacrificially in the ways that we're called to do so. The things that overlap from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And the first thing we need to see in First Peter chapter 1 verses 17 through 24, 25 this morning, we're going to get all the way through the, the end of that passage here, in order to, to, to remind ourselves of where we are and who we are in this permanent identity that can never be changed, uh, though we're exiles living in transient times, though we live in a world that's always changing. The very first thing we need to understand is to thrive in Babylon, we need a proper view of God. A proper view of God. And so Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. And if you call on the Father, which we could stop right there and park for a a little bit here. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. But this is Peter's way of saying this is what it is to be a believer. Those who call on the Father. Those who call on the Father. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he opened the prayer with this, Our Father. And this is who we are today as a congregation, isn't it? If you're in Christ, we can say together, not just my Father, Our Father, Our Father. This is just how Peter describes believers, those who call on our Father. And that's a tremendous source of hope right there, isn't it? Regardless of your of your family background, right? Regardless of your earthly father. You can call on God as your father. And Peter says, this is who you are, your people who call on the father. And then he says this, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Your sojourning, your temporary stay on this earth. Pass that time in fear. Now you might say, this, that sounds a little contradictory. A father, right? Love. Accepted in the beloved, right? And then pass your time in fear of this father? Well, That seems contradictory, doesn't it? Um, we're, 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 we're so wired to, to think that there's, there's, there's a divide here between uh, fear and love. And aren't there not verses that say, perfect love casts out fear, right? And God has loved us perfectly, so why should we fear? And I want to explain what he means by this fear. It's a proper view of God. What he's saying is this Past the time of your sojourning in fear means that you need to live. Girded by a greater fear, a superior fear. Now, um, one of the reasons we floss and brush our teeth is because we fear the dentist, right? Well, maybe some of us. Okay? Right? Um, because. We know who the dentist is and how he and, and, and he's gonna check up on us or she's gonna check up on us, right? Keep us accountable, hey you floss every every day, hey you're brushing you know, twice a day, morning and evening, three times, however, by the way. I have a son who is a champion of toothbrushing. I have never seen a kid who puts as much time and has put as much conscientious effort into brushing his teeth. It's amazing. I'm so proud of him in that way. He is he is not like his father in that way, uh here. But you fear the dentist, so you floss. Is is, is that what he's talking about? Kind of. A little bit. But not quite. What he's talking about is a holy self-suspicion. You understand that you and I have a bent that apart from the Spirit of God can go off the rails pretty badly, right? If you don't understand that, then somehow you're missing the point of being connected to Christ, abiding in Christ. Um, we we have an a, a, a we, we were born with a, with a nature that wants to do our own thing and go our own way and doesn't want God to be at the core and center of it so there needs to be a a, a holy self-suspicion of lord without your grace this is this is where i'm going to end up um and i'm totally responsible for this. It's not like, oh, I just can't help it, right, in some ways. There's a responsibility here. But there's a self-suspicion of of who I am uh, apart from Christ and a fear of offending God that is far above all other fears. That's what he's talking about here. In other words, um, sometimes we can fear others, fear other people, right, what they think, Uh, their their, uh, conclusions of us. And when we do that, when we fear others more than God, it will demonstrate itself in us trying to please others more than God. Maybe some of you don't struggle with that, but probably there's a chunk of people who do struggle with that, right? You're driven by what people think of you. Um, I'm driven by that many times. And so we try to please them and try to please God. We live for their approval and praise rather than God's well done, a good and faithful servant. And that's what Peter's saying here is be driven by the superior fear. Right Now, we have been delivered to a Father who loves us and pours out His love and has shed that love abroad through our lives in the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 5 says. At the same time, He is a God that we must also tremble before. We think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. And when he saw God high and lifted up, he says, Woe is me. And we know the Lord Jesus has closed that gap between God's holiness and our sin. By dying on the cross, taking our sin upon Him, and giving us His righteousness here. And so those who are, who are in Christ here, we live for the approval and praise of God here. That's, that's, that's our motivation here. But it's more than just, a, just, just an honor and reverence for God. It is a legitimate fear. It's a legitimate fear. Those who try to explain away the fear of God as just being a reverence for God and missing that there is a thrust here of something deeper than that. Um, in C.S. Lewis books on the Chronicles of Narnia when the children are introduced to, the, to Aslan who is a lion and a figure of Christ in the books um, they, they, they ask, is, 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 is he a safe lion? And they're told, no, he's not a safe lion he's not a tame lion, but he's good but he's good there is a sense of God is not our pet. And at the same time, God is good. God is good. He's our Father. And so, um, the, there's illustrations of this in the Old Testament. I'd just like you to look at a couple of them. God had told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 8 that there is going to be an Assyrian invasion on Israel. And the people were going to respond to Isaiah telling them about that prophecy in all kinds of different ways in some bad ways. And God tells Isaiah this in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Say you not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy, Neither fear you their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify or set apart the Lord of hosts Himself, and let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. In other words, let Him and the fear of God be the superior thing over the fear of others. Over the fear of what they may, might say and how they might respond. It's what um, God told Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 4. And I'll read it for you, unless you want to flip there. But Nehemiah 4 4 says, uh, When, when um, Tobiah the, the Ammonite, as they're building up the walls of Jerusalem, have been broken down and they're, and they're, they're being uh, persecuted by some mockers, Nehemiah, who's called to build up the walls of Jerusalem, says this Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for prey in a land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before you, for you provoked you to anger before the builders. He, he looks at God, and he says, God, here's what I'm fear, here's my situation I'm fearful about. And hear us, God, you're not despised, and he says, God, minister the fear of who you are to these people who are mocking us here. Hold up this this, 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 this this true vision and this proper view of God here. Help that to be in our eyes over what's affecting us in our circumstances. And Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter ten, and he reminds us of our ultimate accountability, where he says in Matthew ten, verse twenty six through twenty eight, these words that are very powerful. Fear them not therefore those who will be against you. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hidden, that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak you in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach you upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, have your fears in order here. Have an awe, a a greater fear of who God is. Now, this still might not be clicking with you. What it means to fear God, and so I'll explain it here in a a minute. Here, what it means is we don't run from God in fear. We don't cower in fear and run from God, but we align ourselves with the one who is to be feared. Why? Well, look at the rest of the verse in verse seventeen. If you call on the Father who without respect of persons, you, you're not any more special than any of other, uh, anyone else of God's children. I don't care how long you've been saved, right? Or how short you've been saved uh, or what God saved you out of. You're not any more special. We are all equal in the sight of God here. He has poured out His love for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, And so He says, you're, uh, God is a God who is, uh, no respect of persons. And because that, You're not going to have any exceptions here in His judgment, right? He's a God of justice. So we don't need to run from God. We need to align ourselves with the one who is to be feared. Align ourselves with this idea of eternity and that we will stand before God and give an account of our lives is what he's saying in verse 17. Uh, Who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. In other words, When I stand before God, I'm not going to have my spouse with me, and I'm not going to ride in on on his or her coattails. Kids, when you stand individually before God, young people, you will not have mom and dad standing next to you. You will not have your pastor standing next to you. You will not have the person who ministered to you in your life. You will stand and you will give an account of your life here. And Paul and Peter says this is a sobering thing to think about and use that as motivation to please God. Now, it can be illustrated like this. And this I owe this illustration to Bert to explain the fear of God to to his his sons. He said, uh, think about it this way. When they were taking Karate, their sensei, their teacher here. Um, imagine that that they were walking down. Um, uh, that, that, that imagine Warren would be walking down a dark alley, right, and then coming the other way would be somebody who would be a thug coming toward him. And Warren would be scared of that thug, right? But then if he saw his sensei, his teacher, coming alongside, then Warren would have his boldness bolstered, right, and there wouldn't be a fear. But imagine that it's a little bit different. And let's imagine that you and I are walking down the dark alley, and Warren is a lot bigger and stronger, and he's the thug. And he's walking down, or he's robbing the bank, right? And then the sensei comes. The situation's a little bit different, right? Depending on where you are with God, there's a different understanding of fear, right? And, and, and so it is, uh, when we are not aligned with God, the sensei will put his hand and he will, he will, he will, he will be involved in what is necessary in our, in, in the lives of our sin. And so there needs to be a holy monitoring of our hearts, of where we are, and where we aren't with God, and align, be in alignment with God. He's the master, not me. He's the one who bought us. He's the, he's the warrior who defeated the evil of our sin. And if he did that, To bring you to Him as His child, then align with Him and live in fear of being outside of those boundaries of where His protection is. Notice what He says here. Again, picking up on this theme of exiles in Babylon. He says in verse 17, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. You know, this 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 is a temporary time, right? Does that help you live in the fear of God? Understanding that your life is just a speck on the big expanse of eternity. And so, be good stewards of the time that you've been given. What you do will echo in eternity. The believer will be judged based on their works, right? There will be rewards given based on our, 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 our works as a believer in Jesus Christ. It echoes in eternity. We have been uh, 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 had given a temporary deployment. Those of you who served in the military, you served at different places around this globe, right? Some national and some international. Even in this room here. You have a military assignment. This is the time of your sojourning here is what Peter wants us to understand. This is the time you've been given. You've You've been sent by your commander to this particular base, and this particular region, as, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, so pass the time of your sojourning with a proper fear of your commander. Which kind of leads us to the next. Okay, so you're telling me how to live as a pilgrim under my master. That's fine, I get that. But what do I need to know? And Peter's going to answer this with the next truth. And the following verses: "To thrive in Babylon, you need to marvel at the price. Marvel at the price. Look what he says in chapter one and verse 18. For as much as you know, literally it's after the end of saying, I pass the time you're sojourning here in fear, he says, "Knowing this. Knowing this. So there's something that we need to know. There's a knowledge that we need to grasp. And he says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed, you were not purchased from the slave auction of sin, you were not bought with corruptible things, things that are going to fade away as silver and gold, you were not redeemed in that way from your empty conversation, your, 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 your foolish way of life, the pattern received by tradition from your fathers. That's not what you, how, how, how you were um, bought from the slave market of sin. You were bought instead, in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now think of that, okay? The precious blood of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, made flesh in humanity. That's what you were bought with and not just some silver or gold. Today, this morning... My wife came to me with her phone and she said, Hey, I just got a notice that there's some fraud alert on our credit card. And apparently somebody um, took our credit card and had went hog wild at some Sam's Club. And uh, they bought a $586 uh, dollar, um, dining set and $11,100 $11, $11, worth of whatever else merchandise at Sam's and another $1,500 or $1,600 um, purchase at Sam's Club. And I thought... That's really dumb. I would have done it a whole different way in little increments, but hey. Anyway, um, so they so we had of course call and say, hey, we got this fraud, and yeah, this fraud. I didn't do that, unless did you? Is that you? <laughs> Was it Okay, making sure. Um, but what what a, what a temporary nature, right? That credit card. I mean, fees broke in and stole right as Jesus said that's what happened here right moss and rust corrupt all right hopefully they're going to corrupt in jail a little bit i don't know um, but uh but but look at the look at the difference here you're not redeemed with those things here god didn't buy you with your with your chase amazon card right but but with but with the precious blood of christ pure without blemish in your place a sacrificial lamb that's who died for you, and and he just he just feels like he has to keep pushing this deeper. It's like he's taking a nail and he gives one pound and gives another pound and gives another pound and drives his truth deeper. This is who you are, and he says he has to go even deeper, and he says this. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and and, and hope might be in God. He just, Peter just is, is just glorifying God. He's praising God for what God has done in Christ. And listen, when you're a transient exile, you need to be reminded that to thrive in Babylon, you need to marvel at the price. Do you marvel at your salvation? Are you impressed that God saved you? Recently there's been a big buzz on the news about um, uh, rapper Kanye West, artist Kanye West, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and making bold professions of faith. And I've heard some people say, well, if God can save Kanye, He can save anybody. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second here. If God can save me, he can save anybody, right? And that's what he's saying here. You've been purchased for a purpose, for a reason here. And to thrive in Babylon, you need to marvel at the price. This is a forever price from a temporary life. This isn't a lease. Your lease runs out, you've got to take the car back. Your rent for your contract is done here, you've got to move to another place, right? This is not a lease. This is forever. And so don't cast away what is so special to God in showing mercy and grace to you. And here in this verse, he's showing that the land is slain from the foundation of the world here. There is eternal purpose. Your trust and certainty can be in God. Because of this. That's what he's saying in verse 21, that your faith and hope might be in God. Now if your faith and hope is in God, who never changes, that's pretty secure, isn't it? That can't be taken away. So you say, so if I know the price, then, and I marvel at the price, well, what is it, what, what happened to me when I was bought? And Peter will answer that third question here in the remaining verses. And so the third point is to thrive in Babylon, you need to be alive in love. Alive in love. And here's what, here's what he means. <clears throat> Notice what he says in verse 21 who by Him, Jesus Christ, do believe in God and raise Him up from the dead and gave Him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing, understanding this. So He says you need to know this, marvel at the price, and then on the basis of this truth, now here is action, here is obedience, here is life that flows out of this. Okay, Seeing that you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit to unfeigned or sincere, genuine, Love of the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Oh, OK, thank you. But how is this possible? I'm a selfish person. Look what he says: "Being born again, brought to life, again, not of corruptible seed. Not like your veggie garden. That looks pretty pathetic right now, right? Fall, winter is coming. It's shriveled up. But of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then he's going to quote Isaiah 40. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower there falls away. Without God, without Christ, this is what life looks like. You're born, you live, you die. Next, born, live, and die. Right? Well, what's different about the believer? But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Here's what he's saying here. Every one of us were born with a certain DNA that connects us to our families, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, all the way down to Adam and Eve, right? We have this physical DNA. We also have a spiritual DNA that we inherited from our Great grandparents, Adam and Eve. Romans 5 says we're born in sin and we're born in condemnation. But when we're born again through the eternal word of God, the truths of God's word here that have been laid bare about what God has done to save us and we have trusted and rested in that alone here. We have been given a divine nature, Peter says in the next book. We have the DNA of God through the eternal word been born again. Remember in Genesis 1, he talks about how everything shall reproduce after their own kind? Well, God has reproduced and formed a family that is after His kind. After His divine nature here. We have the life of God in us. We've been taken from one bad family to God's beloved family. From a family where our father was the devil to a father who will eternally love us and will bring us to be with him forever. That word fervently there. It's used of when you tighten a string on an instrument. Like you're tuning your guitar. Tuning your violin or another stringed instrument or the piano. You're there is a tightening so that it produces the appropriate sound, right? It's also used, if you saw someone poised for action, and I like watching the Olympics, specifically the, the running um, uh, events here, the track, where where the runner is crouched, ready to go, right? And you can see, I mean, he has n- not a shred of fat on his body, and you can see every single of muscle, right? in his calves and his, and his biceps as he's, as he's ready to go here. That's what the word is used of as well. A fervency. Their, 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 their muscle is flexed for action here. In other words, love to full capacity. I want you right now to think of some people in our congregation who is a little difficult to love. No names. Because <laughs> I don't want you talking about me. People that you have put up barriers and walls. How is this verse going to change you? Well, it changes you by you understanding that you've been born and made alive to do this. God's done this to you to do this. This is how God has loved us. And friends, sometimes we can be like this. Philip Yancey uses this illustration. And he talks about a a, a bus full of people who are headed to see the Grand Canyon. And they're excited about the destination. But they pull all the blinds down of the bus, the shades of the windows, and they're sitting in that bus and they're fighting the whole time on their way to see the Grand Canyon because they haven't arrived at their destination yet. And sometimes that's how the Church of Jesus Christ can be. Oh, we can't wait to get to the destination, but we miss the journey. We miss the journey. And God has brought us together as a congregation. Brothers and sisters, that's who we are. He has brought us together here to to live out the truth of our destination. What is the truth of our destination? Well, Think about this. What he tells us at the end of 1 Peter is what we are going to be doing for all eternity. So start here, Peter says. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. This is what you were made to do from the beginning. Remember, it's what condemned you to hell in the beginning too. Not loving God and not loving others, right? Those two basic commandments. Ultimately boil down to that. And it's what we're saved to do and be restored and it has eternal value. It's treasure that's last. It's deposited in heaven. This is alignment with the values of eternity. When you are in heaven, heaven will be a society of pure love. And so we need to live in alignment with eternity and the way we live in alignment with eternity is loving one another now. Kirk Cousins, who's a believer, he's a quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, has a sculpture outside his house with an odd purpose. It's a sculpture that's intended to remind him that he's going to die. How'd you like that? Well, sort of. It's uh, it, it, he's, he, he's, he's, he's hoping he's going to live till ninety, and so he has a quarter, this quarterback has a jar of seven hundred and twenty stones. That's one for each month he. He intends to live at his home. And every month he takes a stone out of the jar and he carries it with him. And he told the ESPN ESPN reporter that every month he's going to take out a stone, put it in his pocket and think, once this month is over, this is gone. You don't get it back. It's gone for good. It's a little morbid. I understand that. Until you remember this. As he takes out these stones and he throws it away. He has a visual reminder right outside his front door that his time on earth is getting shorter and shorter. I know this isn't rocket science, but you realize that a few seconds ago you had more time on this earth than you do now. That's your motivational speech for the day, right? It sounds more of what is biblical, isn't it? It actually comes to us from a Bible teacher in Psalm 90, verse 12, the very words of God teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, right? Fire our hearts in the wisdom. And that verse, uh, Kirk Cousins says, quote, is about the importance of leaving a mark and making a deposit in people's lives in a way that matters, living for God. In other words, you have an understanding that life is coming to an end someday and that we only have so many days. There's wisdom in that. Now, remember what he said way back in verse 13? Excuse me, verse 16. But as he, but because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy in all manner of conversation all your life here. Being holy means set apart from something to God. This is the thing that makes us distinct from the world. Do you remember the permission that Jesus gives the unbelieving community to say about us in John chapter 13? He gives them permission to say, Hmm. And whether or not this is their subjective opinion, right? Whether or not it's true is not the point. He gives them permission to say this. They are Jesus' disciples. Why? Because they love one another. He gives the unbelieving lost world permission to say that. On that single evaluation... That's pretty strong, isn't it? Doesn't that change the way we think about life? Does it change the way we think about our distinction from the world? The world has nothing like it. God's church, Christ, bride, you have diverse people from different cultures come together in Christ as brother and sister, as mothers and fathers. Where orphans find a family, where the broken find a home, where grace is experienced, where the spirit of unity in Ephesians 4 is present, in the four walls and without, right? When we walk out of here, you are not any less of brothers and sisters to each other, right? And you see in acts two forty two there they ate together, they celebrate what the spirit had been doing in their midst and beyond. They prayed for the kingdom of God to advance. they planned how they could serve, evangelize, and serve in word and deed for the sake of the gospel. If you look in First Peter chapter two and verse seventeen, you see ways that they loved, honor all men, love the brotherhood that's how he describes the church, the brotherhood, the sisterhood. Chapter three, eight through twelve. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion, sympathy, one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. And he quotes from Psalm thirty-four, and he talks about running away from evil and doing good. Chapter four, verse seven through eleven. But the end of all things is at hand, be ye therefore sober and watch the prayer. And above all things, it sounds like 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't it? Have fervent love among yourselves. For love, charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality to one another without grudging. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And speaking or serving, he says in verse 11, so that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ and he be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Here. Well, what would it look like to not love? We'll come back next week, right? Chapter 2, verses 1-3. through three. Um, This is what it would look like you're overbearing. You're inflexible or you're impatient with people. You avoid responsibility. You're craving approval. You behave differently around certain people. You're a pretender. You feel that life in Christ is just a burden. You're a complainer. Americans are complainers. I'm a complainer so much. I'm realizing so much of that is because I am not a thankful person. I do not understand what God has given me. You make people feel a burden of duty. You take criticism and failure pretty badly. You find it hard to relax. You're proud, or you envy others' success, or gifts, or abilities, or blessings. But friends, God's great. We don't have to be in control of everything. He's great. He's got it. We live in alignment with that, with Him. And God's glorious, so we don't need to fear others. And He's good, so we don't have to look elsewhere for goodness. He's where we find it. He's gracious. We don't need to prove ourselves. We need to live in alignment with what He's called us to be, right? For well-done enough, good and faithful servant. And so I'm going to ask you a question here, and i got a couple minutes here, and I want some feedback here. What would make you say that you saw a person who loves the brethren from a pure, sincere heart fervently? What would that look like? What would that look like? What would that person look like? If you said, so-and-so loves the brethren from a pure heart fervently, what would that look like? What would you say? and looking at, or intent, desire to hear people and really to connect with them. So someone who listens, listens wants to learn about that person, not so they can gossip. Right? What else? Logan. Someone sacrifices their time in a joyful way and a humble. Why hmm. Set themselves aside for. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis? Spirit controlling. What does that mean? It means that you want to do what he wants to do. Okay. What does he want to do? Reach out to the the What is that? This is how we glorify the Lord, right? Okay. What does it mean to love one another with a pure heart fervently? Is our question, Josh? Hospitable, open with your with your house, your the things you've been gifted with, your time, and your money. Just yeah. Open to the with well, someone who's you. open and not. Lee. Yeah, I think you love the brother more than you love yourself. Hmm. Yeah. You think about people who you know when you're around them, you know you're loved. you know you're loved. Um, I'll just give you one example in our congregation, there's many of them, but one example: I always know I'm loving them I'm around Paul Miller. Somebody I hear the hum mm-hmm. because you sensed it too, right? He's not here, so I can talk about him. Right? And there's many others, right? Why? Why can I say that? Because there is a grace that he shows, a kindness. There's a gentleness. There is not an agenda to prove himself, right? There is a welcoming spirit with Paul and others. What would it look like? Anything else? Kind. Kindness. When I was ten years old in the Tabernacle, uh, Pastor Henderson. There, I still vividly remember him. He preached for fifty years. I don't remember anything he preached. I remember him treating me as a ten-year-old boy, with respect, as though I was his brother, and not like his buddy, as though I was his brother. Hmm. And I knew that he loved me; like, he would accept me as a son. Yeah, yeah. What would it look like to love the brethren in your own home with a pure heart fervently? What about that spouse? What about that child? Right? And what would it look to love one another not just from a distance? Probably all of us could say, oh, I love everybody, right? Which really means not a whole lot until we love people up close, right? That's why your homes, your families are your biggest test of your love, right? Because your life, life on life, right? Here, really reveals. Um, uh, You know what it would look like? The Sermon on the Mount. And it would look like 1 Corinthians 13. So what I'd like you to do is, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13, I'd like you to read this with me. First Corinthians 13. And let's read together. Begin in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunts not itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. "...seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails, for whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away." For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face, now I know in part. But then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abides faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. That's what it would look like, right? That's what it would look like. So what are you going to do up close and not from a distance? So we fear the Master, we know the price, and we walk alive, born alive, made new, in love. And how does God make a people that are close to one another and, and poised for sincere love and service to one another? By reminding us that we are to fear Him more than anything else. By showing us the preciousness of being brought back from our old life and living in our new nature that God made us alive in.